Hello, and welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror, film, and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. In this season, we're tracing the lineage of female monsters in horror cinema, and in each episode, I'm joined by a special guest to dive deep into a monster movie or two. And this week's episode is our final one of the series. We've gone from panther women and werewolves to aliens and zombies to succubi and cannibals. There's a lady monster for everyone on the Final Girls podcast. And I can't really think of a better way to wrap up a series on the monstrous feminine than with a killer mermaid double bill. I have many obsessions and mermaids are probably in the top three of those obsessions. Cher is up there as well, but that is for a whole nother podcast. And in today's finale episode, I'm joined by powerhouse presenter and writer Louise Blaine to dive into a double bill of mermaid goodness. First up, we've got the unclassifiable and utterly bizarro Polish horror musical The Lure. Set in a small Polish town in the 1980s, two mermaids emerge from the waters and start performing in a nightclub. One falls in love with a man, gives up her tail, and loses her voice in the process. If you've only got space for one Polish horror new wave musical with killer mermaids, let it be the lore. And in the second part of the episode, we'll go into our discussion about the siren. This 2019 film centers on a man searching a nearby lake for the monster that murdered his husband, while that monster falls in love with an unsuspecting visitor. As always, our discussions will contain spoilers. There is, however, a good chunk of our conversation about the lore at the beginning of the episode without spoilers, so I'll make sure to leave a timestamp in the show notes to mark the point where we go into discussing details about the ending. And am I just blatantly trying to encourage everyone to go and watch the lore? Yes. Very, very obviously, yes. And on that note... Enjoy our discussion about all things mermaid. Louise, welcome back. Hello, Anna. It's always a pleasure. I'm very excited because actually this is the last episode of this series of the podcast. Ooh, I feel and now I feel like I have pressure to kind of perform and be some kind of fitting ending. That's not stressful at all. <laughs> After our, actually, we had lots of nice comments about our Marmite discussion about Bly Manor. So hopefully, hopefully we can, hopefully I can help see off the season in in a true (laughs) style that it should be. I can think of no one better. And also, this is going to be extremely fun because out of the two films that we're going to be talking about today, I had seen one of them and hadn't seen the other. Mm Mm-hmm. And vice versa. So we're going to talk about the lure first. Mm-hmm. And then we'll move into the siren. Let's kick off with the Polish New Wave horror musical. <laughs> right, I'm just going to let you know now, Anna. I'd, 
when obviously we decided what we were going to talk about and you're like have you seen the lure and i said no i haven't seen the lure and i just thought oh i'll just watch the lure it'll be some mermaid movie and i googled the lure and obviously it was a mermaid movie and then i kind of put it on my list and i didn't really think about it and then i found myself watching yes it was a mermaid movie but it was also a polish musical surreal extravaganza of a movie that i i was not expecting i'll be honest i sat down thinking what is this the first time they burst into song it was just like oh oh wow that's what this is that's what this is pump this into my veins i want more of this (laughs) for a for a second there i was terrified louise that you were gonna say what the fuck is this oh no i fucking loved it i loved it i like in a way that in a way that i didn't even fully expect as much i don't in a way that even now i don't really understand exactly why i love it so much i'll probably i'll probably discover it during this conversation Mm. why i love it so much yeah but yes i'm very impressed before we dig into this a film yes experience Mm -hmm. musical what is your relationship with mermaids in particular? Okay, so I um, I think mermaids are always really fascinating. And I, I've always loved the Hans Christian Andersen book, The Little Mermaid. And it really, I was that kind of child that was really upset when Disney did The Little Mermaid and she didn't turn into sea foam, you know, because they, there is a darkness to mermaids. There's a real, real darkness. And I think it's very, very evident. And I think in both of the films that we're going to talk about, it's a curse. And as much as a, everyone has this dream of a sort of Disney princess style, skipping about underwater, but skipping about because you don't have any legs. And, and there's just an actual, there's a real sadness to it. So I think I've always been quite, I've always been quite obsessed with that, actually. Mm. So watching these two movies and seeing, especially in the lure, the almost grotesque nature of tails and being half a fish, but also somehow still being pro- sexy and intense and mm. lustful. I think there's a lot of... um. It's kind of like... I've always been... I think there were a lot of people that didn't like The Shape of Water, and I was not one of those people. I loved The Shape of Water because I could understand and and really there was there's something about the allure of the monstrous isn't there and Mm -hmm. i think mermaids fully embrace that entirely because they're sad but they want to be like humans but they don't and they're powerful and strange and this call of the water there's something really i guess there is something like that call of the water that makes us really excited by these creatures that live in such wonderful spaces that we can't be part of we can't live there we can't breathe underwater we can't have any of those things so there's a desire but then the things that are there want to drag us down and take us into the nasty places so i i love mermaids if you can't tell (laughs) (laughs) and this is why this you're the perfect person to end the season with because similarly to you i've been obsessed with mermaids since i read the hans christian anderson story as a little girl because it's dark as fuck anna (laughs) it really fucking is and obviously that is not the disney the little mermaid which is probably the most popular mainstream and very very common initiation into the the lore of the mermaids and i love it i love the little mermaid it's a great disney movie and uh, ursula Mm. is one of the most terrifying villains of all time fantastic villain deserves i want the live action ursula prequel so scary that'll be so scary (laughs) yeah but i'm into it also please cast lizzo as her she wants to do it wow yes yeah (gasps) amazing Yes, 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 yes. She yes. did a whole. She did a whole in costume edition on Instagram. But anyway, okay, I, I will send that to you later. Please do. But I digress. Anyway, what it's it's really, I find it really interesting how the lore presents the mermaids as both a monster, something to be feared, but also something, something really sexy, some something that's really fetishized by the yeah. people around them, but also as essentially um, teenagers. It's a yeah. really. It's a really strange, odd coming-of-age film. So what do you make of our mermaid protagonist, Silver and Gold? I, the, It's interesting you talk about how sexualized they are because one of the very earliest things we see is when they're like, oh, look what they look like naked. 
smooth mm-hmm. as a Barbie doll is the exact word they use, which is very, very odd imagery. It's very surreal imagery to be faced with because we are, we're not terribly used to, we're not used to full on nudity in that regard, especially standing in the middle of a kind of scuzzy back room of this weird strip club type thing. And it's these two young women mm-hmm. with this very surreal and the fact he gets one of them to bend over there's just this real scuzziness and nastiness Mm -hmm. to it but on the on the flip side of that when he puts the water on them and the tails grow and they are they go from looking uncomfortable to being so comfortable in themselves so it's this switch of they are content they're relaxed they are they're the the most the, the incredible surreal sort of nature of these huge monstrous tails like huge they're not just like they're not like daryl hannah and splash who could kind of fit in the bath like they are monsters they're like yeah. three times the size of the size of the girls themselves. Yeah. Like they're, they're massive. And they're like eels. They're, they're long and spiky. They're not that traditional, oh, I've got the nice dolphin fins. No, no. Mm. You've got these long tails with weird fins and weird spikes, but they are comfortable in themselves. So that's another layer of the surreal but almost we feel a lot better about that because they are themselves they are their true nature they're not disguising themselves as human there's not that weird uncanny valley of that strange smoothness that you can't when you're looking at it you're going this is weird i can't believe i'm watching a film where there are two young girls in front of me and i don't care if they don't have genitalia they're completely naked and it's really odd and strange but then to then flip that to the monstrous and everybody to feel okay about it i i love that that's a really interesting, reassuring sort of um, sort of pat saying it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. This isn't a movie that's like that. So I think that was I found that reassuring because initially I was like, "What is this film? What the, what what is happening here? Oh oh, I'm on board. I'm on board now. This is fine." And one of the really interesting um, decisions that the film makes is to make it make it very clear to everyone in this scuzzy little polish town that they're dealing with two mermaids yeah two creatures from the sea and from myths so what do you make of the way that the the golden and silver are are treated by all the supporting characters and all the people around them i think the first thing i think about with that is we're very used to a, a narrative where a monster is a monster, but nobody knows. And that's what you're saying. So the fact that everybody is suddenly aware. So suddenly that's not the narrative anymore. So you actually feel like you don't know where something's going to go. Because inevitably what we'd see that as a three-act structure, in the third act, everyone would discover who they were. And then everyone would go, actually, they're lovely anyway. Let's still appreciate them for who they are. And that would have been that narrative. But the fact that they th- said, oh, they're monsters. Let's put them in giant champagne glasses and sing with them and take them shopping and sing and dance with them some more. Can we just talk? Can we talk for a second about these dance sequences? I mean, <laughs> the We're shopping. We're going to talk extensively about the dance sequences. <laughs> but, but yeah, going back to their treatment of them, I almost appreciated it, despite the fact that they were scuzzy and vile and already discovering where potentially genitalia was on tails like that was strange and weird and gross the fact that that was one of the first things that they wanted to understand it's like how do i fuck these creatures basically yeah it's like where do we put it if we can't put it there where does it go that's literally the first question it's like you guys are vile but again it was almost this weird honesty and again because you understand that they are toothy, monstrous creatures who could bite off their thumbs and eat their faces, you don't feel as bad, even though you should. Mm. You don't feel as bad because you would like to think that they know exactly, they know what they're doing. We've see, we see repeatedly that they, well, especially the older sister, she knows what she's doing a lot better than, than our younger sister, unfortunately. But I think like, I feel like there is a knowing nature there that makes it less than exploitation. So let's talk about the musical sequences. <laughs> okay. You can barely contain yourself. I love Thoughts, a musical. Opinions, Anna. lyrics. I, I mean, <laughs> I, d- I think there's, I think there's definitely. Um, I don't think I'd really experienced a musical before where I'd read the lyrics because the musical was in Polish. 
So that's yep. not normally something you... Sometimes when you're watching a musical, you kind of catch half the lyrics, but maybe the other half you don't really catch, but you're too busy watching the songs. Meanwhile, when you're reading the lyrics, you realize how strange they are and funny and just bizarre and weird. But also you just kind of appreciate that the fact that they're happening in front of your eyes and you can see what they are. But yes, I love the musical numbers. I also love, and I know this isn't necessarily about the music, but the first time you realise that they talk like dolphins, like they click at each other, that's my other favourite thing because they subtitle that. So not only do they subtitle the music, they subtitle their secret clicking communications and their monstrous kind of dolphinisms, even when they're in the middle of a, like a backstage of a club, which I Mm -hmm. loved. I love that so much because they are so animalistic. They are so animalistic. And that's my favourite thing. I'm so glad you bring up the subtitles because I was as I was rewatching the film, I was thinking how curious it is because I'm actually quite used to watching films with subtitles, of course. even English language films, because I used to watch them with subtitles all the time. So I'm quite used to reading yeah. the script on screen, even as I was hearing in the same language. Oh, okay. One of the things that I most adore about this film is the fact that you do get to participate in their secret language yes. because very often when being subtitled or um, films that play around with different languages or different secret codes, they will leave out that bit in order to yeah. reinforce the fact that you're not, you're you're not, not allowed party to, to it. hear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's their secret thing. I don't know if this is the choice of the UK distributors of this. I have a Polish DVD that a friend of mine gave, uh, gave to me as a present. Even then, it was subtitled and... What I'm really interested in kind of in, in hearing your thoughts about is about this secret bond and the secret relationship between the sisters. The thing that you do appreciate immediately about them is their is their bond and is their their love for each other and how close they are. But I also love that they are both fiercely different. And I think it becomes very apparent by the end exactly how much you know, um, I love the fact that Golden's this entire rebel all the way through it and just doing whatever the hell she wants. She's murdering people in cars. She's having that really, really confusingly hot sex with the hot cop. Um, and But then she's also comes back and is protective of, um, is protective of her sister and is, is the one pushing the wheelchair after she has... Defi- you know, de- totally defiled herself and made her made herself more human for a guy who's really just a complete dick. So she, yes, they have that kind of sassiness early on, but she is there for her when she mm-hmm. is literally in in bits. And it's funny, isn't it? How, despite the fact that we're watching a movie about mermaids and music. And there's that weird surgical sequence where she is halved to get legs and none of it makes any sense. But we are so on board with it that Mm -hmm. watching her learn to use her legs and be on crutches and be in a wheelchair is heartbreaking. I genuinely found it so heartbreaking. So the sister's relationship I found so important that she was looking after her sister and she was there and she was there to take revenge when she couldn't save herself which was the saddest thing like so it was a, it was a really heartbreaking sister story just with in a very unique way the film has a, such a distinctive visual style and builds a world that kind of doesn't really make any sense Zero. but completely draws you in doesn't it yeah so what did you think about its aesthetic about these choices and do they i mean clearly they worked for you but how do they talk to each other it's something that on paper just does not it does not work i think a lot of people i can understand that a lot of people probably hate this movie do a lot of people hate this movie i've decided not to even look at what other people think i don't know them i don't care for them yeah well i can imagine it is surrealist and strange and but i am obsessed with the repeated revisits of the singer the older the, the mother I'm obsessed with the revisits of her face and her her voice and her very strange obsession where she's kind of brought these two girls in and there's that very odd sequence where she's she's got a tail and they're breastfeeding from her so there's this kind of like whole there's this whole mother element to it that she's mm-hmm. kind of brought them into her nest so to speak 
But then at the same time, this is this is also comboed up with the fact that we're getting these regular musical numbers, which kind of become these weird set pieces. So the, there's that weird like metal version or like the dance version. There's really odd genre choices. And it's almost like you've just kind of fallen into a weird music video that happens to have the people that you were watching in a movie before. So there's these, they've got these crazy, the, cra- the girls have these crazy eyes, amazing makeup mm-hmm. and credible dance sequences. And you're not entirely sure why they're happening at that moment, but you're really happy they are. And I think it's that constant, like, I love this. This is strange and it's purposefully breaking rules. It's not really taking me on a narrative that I thought I would go because it's already shattered that narrative that I thought it was going to go by saying, hey, you guys are mermaids. Cool. Let's put you in our club. Let's strip you and see where to fuck you. Like all of that is mental. So wherever you go from there, you may as well go with them because they've broken all the rules already. So having crazy dance sequences and really, really interesting, strange, almost, it's not quite Wes Anderson style shooting, but everyone's very much in the middle. There's lots of very clear square Mm -hmm. framing, especially Mm -hmm. the shot of her on that, sort of surgical slab with the yep. two girls next to each other there was there's real symmetry there and it mm-hmm. by its very nature it lingers on that so you automatically start to look at it and go why am i looking at a shot that looks like this for this long and there is lots of little surreal longer shots that you go oh that's an interesting choice and i like it and again i don't know why <laughs> there's also a lot of playing around with the symmetry of just the color coordination of both sisters and yes. the way that their outfits and costumes their makeup even the way that they look their hair the way the actresses who are not you know they look very different but just the sheer contrast between them at all times becomes kind of a soothing thing to see when they're yeah. both on screen next to each other especially during the musical numbers yeah And I wanted to get your take on what you think as well of the way that this film updates the idea of the mermaid song or the siren song by making them into these cabaret singers slash then punk singers. I hadn't even, I hadn't really, I hadn't even thought about the siren song literally being the siren song because it was a musical number. I love it. I love it even more, Anna. Like it's, (laughs) it's... I love that it constantly, all of that is redefining mermaid lore. But at the same time, we have this repeated story of if you can't make him love you, you will turn to sea foam, which is the Hans mm-hmm. Christian Andersen story. Yes. I was actually, I was messaging someone last night saying, oh, you know, if she doesn't do this, sea foam. And they're like, what do you mean sea foam? It's like, what do you mean yeah. you've not read The Little Mermaid? Of course, it's all about sea foam. You just go back. You don't just die. You disappear. So the idea that this was what would happen to her if she didn't manage to make him love her was just mm. heartbreaking. And you, we could see it coming a mile off. Of course, yeah. And it's just, but she's so innocent and her sister doesn't manage to convince her and she decides that this is what she wants. And we're shouting, no, don't have legs. You don't need legs. Legs suck. Don't do it. Have a tail that's three times longer than your entire body. Keep doing that. But no. No, not so. But yeah, makes me sad. Because in, in the story, there is... It's quite graphic. It's quite dark. There's a lot of the other sisters of the Little Mermaid um, cutting off their hair in order yep. to give that as a tribute to try to give her a second chance at yes. getting her... at not becoming seafoam and getting her tail back. Yep. And what do you think of the, the this update with a very body horror tinge to it of making it a surgical choice of her removing her tail and substituting it for the legs of another random woman that someone killed what happened she was still alive when they chopped them off her she was still alive i was like is she getting the tail i mean are they trying to fix that is that what's happening i do think putting it to body horror was a really really natural step actually i think Mm. if you think about the even the hans christian anderson story i'd forgotten about the hair but i remembered about the every step you will take is like a thousand knives going into your feet and that Mm -hmm. in itself is something again that disney quite happily forgot that every step on it that every step on earth would hurt and it's something that our next film will talk about is how painful it is to leave water um, and I think body horror is the complete natural step for that. It's definitely something that you want. Mm. You know, it's almost something that it is 
it never shied away from it either. It was very, the physicality of the lure was really interesting, actually. There was really, there was the, there was a lot of writhing. There was a lot of close-ups on skin. There was a lot of close-ups on scales. There was a lot of, yes. the, the sex scene with the cop where she was licking up the scales. Like, that's really strange yeah. and sensuous. Like, that's really odd imagery that you should immediately go, well, this is gross. But actually, you're like, they're doing something interesting here and I like that they're doing it and I I also like it was just it felt there was lots of feelings you know it mm. at all of the 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 focus on like close-ups of so much skin so much so that when the spinning knife was lowered to her stomach you were literally going please don't do this because we had seen their perfect skin and their perfect mm-hmm. scales and they are amazing and to decimate that and to annihilate it for the idea of human consumption for a man that really doesn't give a fuck is just galling that's re- it's really upsetting so body horror was the natural step for it but it makes it so hard i like to stick on on the body of it but specifically bring it back to the sex scene that you mentioned actually to the way that sex is treated in the film but specifically the two sex scenes that we get and it, one each per sister so yep. golden uh has sex in mermaid form with the police officer yeah and it's i mean never seen anything like that before on nope. screen nope never in my life never in my life not sure i wanted to see it but Mm-mm. worked does work it does work and it's like it's sexy it's weird but it's it is incredibly alluring in a sense, and it kind of also answers that weird question that the film asks itself at the very for at the very beginning, and that probably a lot of people in the audience would be asking themselves that as well yeah. firsthand because that's the first that's the first thing a lot of people think about when they when they encounter a creature that is both sexy and monstrous. Yes, but the contrast with this with the sex scene between Silver and the dipshit boy that she falls in love with. When she is already kind of in human form, yep. but he is so disgusted that he gets blood from her surgical scar yep. on his belly. I was furious. I was so angry. So, so angry. It was just taking a moment for that fury. Yep. But I mean, it's not, doesn't take much for that to translate to what it is actually is the, the fear yep. of period blood. And that's just like, it's just like, don't be... Uh, the. And it's even worse because he was the cause of that. It's, yeah. it's that thing again. It's that it's that blame thing, isn't it? It's like this. She did this for you and you can't deal with this. And it's funny. This is a complete tangent, but I'd recommended Excision as one of my movies that people should watch over mm-hmm. at Halloween. And someone messaged me and said uh, that she loved it, but her partner really, really didn't. And she's like, I think mm-hmm. the sex scene put him off. And I remember that sex scene. And I do remember that sex scene. That sex scene's really bloody. Mm-hmm. But that was what this reminded me of. It's just like, if you are, if you were willing to come this far, if you were willing to ask her to remove half of her body, I don't care mm-hmm. how unbelievable that is, if you were going to do that and that's what she has done for you, you're, this is your doing and now you're just a kid. You're just an immature kid. I was I was so so angry I was like she's done everything that she possibly can she's teaching herself to walk for you you complete and utter wanker she's lost her voice because of this operation she's lost her powers she's in constant agony she probably I mean we're told in the film she wants she wants to be able to have sex with him intercourse with him as soon as possible so her heart her scars aren't even healed and yes of course the comparison to period blood is obvious but it's also this i find it quite a deliberate choice that the sex scene with golden is with a woman who is so embracing and into this inhuman body yeah and this guy this boy is so put off by blood that comes from literally surgery yeah that he's like oh cannot i cannot it's it's too much i couldn't possibly let me go to the record stop and find another manic pixie dream girl that's it and that is who he finds that is Mm -hmm. exactly who he finds the sort of idea of perfection we're both shaking our heads (laughs) 
well, shaking our heads. Polish Johnny Flynn looking guy. <laughs> Fuck him. No but disrespect no. to Johnny Flynn. He's no. an amazing actor. <laughs> to start wrapping up our conversation about the lore, we've sort of circled around the ending a little bit, but I wanted to ask you what you make of the ending because it sort of rushes into the final massacre. Yeah. In the last in the last ten minutes or so. I think in my head, again with expectations, fully armed with expectations, I'm like, well, here's the revenge. If he's fucked off with some girl, they get mm-hmm. to I was fully expecting at one point them the both sisters to eat all of the wedding guests. I was like, they're going to kill them all. We're just going to be in a pile. It's going to be like the cabin in the woods in here. I am ready for this floating carnage. I'm here for it on this boat. <laughs> but do you know what? Like, I when we when I realized that the sun was coming up and she was still alive and she wasn't going to kill him and she was kind of when she was hold, he was holding her and she had those mm-hmm. the teeth and she was monstrous and ready and warning off her sister. I was like, nope, this is all going to end in tears. She's not doing it. She's going to be true to herself all the way through, and and yes, she did. And the, the the disintegration into sea foam I found really really heartbreaking, but also quite affirming in the fact that she stayed true to herself all the way through. And it wasn't. It would have been easier emotionally for them to kill everybody, but it it almost feels like a waste of her death because her sister killed him anyway. But. Mm the fact that she would have had to be the one to kill him which would have killed her in some other way rather than the physicality was quite poetic in that lovely way it just made me sad it just broke my heart that the humans again ruined everything and now she was alone so but i, I did love it i i it was it was a really lovely surprise for a film that had toyed with expectations that had toyed with the expectation of a lot of body horror because i could have seen it i didn't i saw how they would have directed that it would have been chompy and real and there would have been gore for days it would have been like ghost ship when the wire went across the thing that's what it would have been like but with mermaids it would have been like cabin in the woods yes. with that geezer of blood coming out of that merman that's what it would have been like but it didn't oh, happen wasn't that alternate cut? It would almost, it would have been easier on our hearts, I think. Yes, but much less coherent with the yeah, characters and totally. the narrative and the world we had built up. Exactly. It was also heartbreaking, I think, for me to see Golden obviously take revenge on her sister, but then be banished almost instantly back yeah. into the sea yeah. and devastated because she's back into 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 her world and the world in which he, she belongs but um by by herself alone. alone and utterly devastated yeah and there was something else i wanted to ask you actually and it's what do you think of the way that it hints at a larger mythology and i'm thinking specifically of triton the fact they kept talking about that was amazing like that just it it, um i almost find that it's kind of it's kind of teasing that almost little mermaid style stuff that's really what it's teasing because i don't think it's an accident that that wedding takes place on 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 a boat like that it's not an accident where we've seen that imagery um and i think you know all we needed was a dog for prince eric um (laughs) but uh I, I love the idea that there's a wider a wider world there. And I, I, I don't want any more of them at all because I don't think I could cope with that because this was so perfect and strange and weird in its little box of strange. I don't need another element to it. But even knowing that there's a full mythology and a full world is kind of like the icing on the really fucking weird cake. <laughs> so let's move on to... A killer mermaid movie of a very, very different flavor. Yes, it is very different. The Rusalka begins life as an ordinary young woman. But then one day while lovesick, she drowns in a body of water. She wakes up transformed, a living ghost, a siren. 
and she is forever cursed with an unholy want. To drown anyone who comes near her again. So let's talk about The Siren from 2019. So this is a film that you recommended that mm-hmm. I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. And so tell me about your relationship with the film. And did you have expectations going in into it, being a mermaid fan? No, not at all. It was one of those, um, it was on at Fright Fest in Glasgow last February, not the February just there. It was 2019. Mm-hmm. Um and I literally knew absolutely nothing about it. I tend to not, because Glasgow Fright Fest, you don't have to choose which movies you watch. It is just two days of movies, three days of movies, Friday night and then a Saturday and a Sunday. I think it was yeah. quite early on. I think it was about the one o'clock Saturday movie. And it f- I just, I didn't know what I was going to watch. And I think some people in the audience were disappointed because it was a slow, atmospheric vocal i love the music vocals it's a very experiential movie of listening to water lap etc and i think a lot of people were like this is not the horror movie that i wanted it to be mm-hmm. but again one of those bly manor situations where i'm like well this is a love story that happens to have a monster in the middle of it and that monster was built up so well that i was absolutely devastated by the end did you like it you've not said yet oh no you hate it you don't like it. Another one that you don't like. What have I done to you? I, I still really like you. <sighs> I know. <laughs> Listen, I am here for every single mermaid movie that was ever made. <laughs> so I am so happy to have seen this film. Okay. Even if you hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it. I I find ev- I genuinely find the mermaid so fascinating and so underexplored on screen that every single take tries something different but keeps coming back to some general brushstrokes that I can recognize. Most of them kind of come from either the Greek myths or from the Hans Christian Andersen story. And I found this sort of sits somewhere in the middle between them, um, which I find is really curious. And again, no expectations and the prioritizing of building an atmosphere and the love story at the center. And actually, I would even argue that it's not so much about the love story as it is about a story of a lover's grief. Yes, totally. Rather than... Because I found the grief of who I think is actually the main protagonist to be much more the central point of the story than the love story between Nina the Siren and... um, his name i want to say nick is that's not right is it uh tom 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 so i found i found that so much more interesting than the love story between nina the siren and tom um but before we go into the the tension in that in that trio of relationships what did you make of the way that the film updates the the myth of the mermaid i loved the idea that One thing that I found particularly darkly humorous was when Tom arrived at this cabin, this beautiful cabin right on the lake, which is, I would never, I don't know about you, but I would never stay in this cabin that's just windows out onto the lake. I mean, it's beautiful, but Mm -hmm. when you arrive at that door that says, stay out of the lake, there's been a lot of drownings, (laughs) you're suddenly like, (laughs) okay, I mean, sure, I've come to the lake not to swim, but he hasn't come to swim because he doesn't like Mm -hmm. to swim, but I thought that as an update already was like you're here and there's horrible things happening here and I, the idea that there is a monster even in the lake before you even know what that monster is you're just like there's there's death happening here and mm-hmm. the fact that it is this is this woman who looks so innocent and so beautiful and with her lovely long hair and she is gorgeous I love her I think she's I think she's magnificent and I love when she transforms into her monster and her eyes Mm -hmm. go completely black 
and mm-hmm. her voice changes her voice goes guttural and strange and the idea that that's almost something that she can't control and is just this sad figure living in the lake forcing you know trying to almost fighting with herself but not really having any reason to not fight because she's just there on her own she may as well not fight the monster she might as well kill everyone until Mm -hmm. she finds a reason to try and fight it in him i found a really lovely arc that was a beautiful kind of i don't want to be a monster and she's holding at one point she's holding a rock and she just crushes this rock and you're like you're really strong but you just look (laughs) you just look like this innocent you know just person swimming about in the lake but actually you are just this super strong monster that just Mm wants to be I I love her dream of her just lying in the cabin with him the idea that that's what she wants she has dreams of just falling in love and stopping him from reading and it's that kind of romantic idealism but the idea that that's happening in contrast with this monster Mm -hmm. sitting in the standing in the lake while the rain pours that wonderful contrast I really got on board with and there's something really interesting, I think, in general about mermaids, um, and in particular about this film. And it's you mentioned the way that her voice turns guttural when yeah. she manifests herself as her monstrous self. And I think it, I thought it was a really curious choice to make Tom into a, a mute man. Yeah. So essentially removing his ability to speak and making their connection so much more mystical, yeah. almost. So what did you make of the? the use of of voices in this film i suppose in that way voices take a sort of back seat don't they voices take a back seat to the sound of rain to the sound of the water lapping to the sound even just to the sound of the atmosphere there i feel Mm. like the lake is as much a character as anyone else in that you know the lake while it's her that takes lives it all disappears into this changeable mass of water that's sometimes mm-hmm. it's smooth sometimes it's lapping sometimes it's wave it sometimes it's it's chaotic and him boarding his rowing boat to go across it because he doesn't like the water i do think their performances especially i don't think really need the speech a lot i found it much more i found it much more intense i found it much sweeter actually i find him a very very sweet character um, kind of running around trying to show people things like a kid. Like I find him very, very sweet. Um, and I liked the playfulness of him having that bracelet that said, I'm mute and someone sort of saying, oh, yeah. And he's like, no, but I'm not deaf. Like you can just be normal yeah. with me. So I did love like the, um, and his interactions with McLeod Andrews' character. Mm-hmm. They were the only ones that had real, com- that had, he had a sort of one-way conversation with him. And he, as you were saying, like, it is his grief that propels the entire thing. It's his love story. It's his loss, his revenge movie, rather than someone mm-hmm. else's love story. Um, so his voice is the only one we really ever hear, other than she does speak. She's very sweet, doesn't say very mm-hmm. much. But yeah, I I think the moments that it's silent are far better. And also the music is purely vo- so much vocal in the music. So sometimes the music comes up and there isn't even, they don't even leave any sound of anything else. It's just mm-hmm. the music and nothing else. And it's really, I think it's really powerful. And I, it, when I rewatched it, I actually found it just as effective as I had the first time um, because I knew what was coming because I was actually, I was really devastated by the end the first time and quite surprised at myself sitting in a mm-hmm. cinema of Fright Fair scores crying. But I was really affected by it again because it just feels like this little piece of, Rather than a horror movie, it just feels like this little piece of atmospheric filmmaking with a couple of people in it. Hmm. And you're right. It's just, it's very, very bare bones ingredients, both in terms of plot, in terms of um, characters, locations. It's very much kind of isolated in so many ways, as are all the characters isolated. So what do you make of this trifecta between Nina, Al and Tom? I am um, one thing I'd forgotten. I don't know why I forgot it was the moment where he realizes that Nina's wearing the necklace of his of his dead husband. Mm-hmm. And that moment is the most powerful moment in the film because he's tried to convince himself that she's not a monster. He's tried to convince himself he's not going he's not he's going mad. He's just like just be normal, just be cool. And I think that moment for me 
where everything is laid bare to him. And the film really concentrates on it. There's lots of just her eyes, then his eyes. And poor Tom really isn't aware at all. He's collecting sticks or something and they're they're having this moment. So I think that moment where they all get together to have this barbecue and it's slightly awkward and it's quite sweet and then there's that reveal is the kind of pivot in the middle for everything. Um, But I I think they're um, all kind of cursed. None of them can be happy. That's the end. She's left in the lake. He leaves because he can't cope with the fact he fell in love with a monster. And, um, well, one of them's never coming back. But I think there's a, there's misery for everyone. Everybody is cursed and sad in that film. Mm. And to start wrapping up, you've kind of used the word monster and the idea of her being cursed by this. There is a certain kind of... um lack of intention though like she's not she is a reluctant monster almost yeah so i was wondering kind of what you make of her um carrying this compulsion to murder but without really wanting to so kind of being a monster but without really enjoying or being vilified for it aside from al obviously who is struggling with his own grief I think it's I think it's really compelling. The one thing that I find especially compelling about her is when she gets that mirror that's been like discarded in the lake and she's positioning it in a tree because she wants to make herself look pretty and she puts her earrings in and it's like she's getting ready for a date but she lives in the lake <laughs> and it's really really sad. I find it I find it really really I think that's why I find this pervading sense of sweetness because I find Tom really really sweet and I find that her actions despite knowing who she is and what she's done because she has killed a number of people this is not she's not innocent in any regard but she just wants to be loved so I do find that idea of her contrast and inner turmoil quite really quite fascinating and and I do err on the side of it just being I find it oddly adorable and oddly compelling she doesn't kill that child so that's great we love that (laughs) You know, if nothing else, she doesn't kill children. Brilliant. Just kill dudes. That's fine. Um, no, I'm not justifying her actions. She did horrific, horrific things. But mm. I do... The sadness of her always having to be in the water, the sadness of when they were walking together and chatting, she had her feet in the water. And yep. it was like she was always in the water. And I, and you could look at it and be like, oh, that's a really sweet date. And it's like, actually, they may as well, that water around her ankles may as well be shackles. That That's changed. She's chained to that. She can never leave. She like We saw the pain she was in after removing one toe from the water. And that lovely, the, the moments of niceness that they had on the jetty, she had to be in the water. She had to have her foot in the water all the time. And it's her constant, her constant torment. So while, yes, she's a monster and she's done terrible things, I think she repeatedly has to pay for those things by not having a life really she's she's punished by her entrapment as much as anything else and do do you think it's a horror film really no (laughs) no i do i think i think if people turn that on on shudder on a friday Mm. night and expect more lure than the siren then they will be grossly disappointed. And I think some people in Fright Fest were really disappointed because it wasn't a horror film. It's 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 not really a horror film. But what it is is, or what I find is, it's in, intense and romantic and sad and a, a slice of a... It's almost like one of those like white noise tapes, you know, when you get put to a lake or you put on a mountainside or one of those things or you're given sort of immersive music and soundtrack. It's that as well for me it's kind of a sort of mental mouthwash you, you're taken to that lake and you hear all these noises and you you see all these there's beautiful like expansive open shots where they're just like a head and a body you don't really look at them you look at the landscape and you look at the world and you like tom are, are going there to escape and what you find in that escape might be a monster in the lake but you're still escaping to nature and i think that's something that i found a lot when i've been watching films especially over the last what nine months over lockdown I 
I look at lakes and water and sea and mountains and I go, oh my God, I could just let me eat this with my eyes, make my television bigger because I want to be these places. So I think in that regard, it's a really, really interesting escape. It's definitely not a horror film, but if you want to go to the go to a beach house, you know, for the weekend with maybe a monster, you could watch, you could definitely watch this. Just don't expect any kind of, you know, Friday the 13th style madness. But I think it's a definite holiday for the senses in a really interesting way. And to bring both these films together, there's something that you've been mentioning across your thoughts of both the lore and the siren, and it's sort of the inherent sadness of the mermaid. What do you think of the mermaid as an on-screen monster? I don't want her to be cursed anymore, but she is. She's so cursed. I don't... I think I think there's that very... And I suppose it's what happens when we watch horror movies about the living and the dead, isn't it? Because the two can't cross. The mm. two can't stay together. And that's what creates the dramatic tension. And that's what creates the turmoil. Is that inevitably there's a romantic relationship forms and it can't be fixed. And we're, we're not got the Disney princess happily ever after. We don't get that. Because really... Was there a happily ever after to the Disney's Little Mermaid as they went off and she left her entire family behind for a guy that he, she met on a beach like once? Really? Really? Like, I think... But he had a great dog. He did have a great dog. What was the dog called, Anna? Do you remember what the dog's called? Barney? Is the dog called Barney? Nope. What's the no. dog called? I want to say Pete. Nope. Max. Max. Of course it was Max. Of course it was Max. But, you know, he does have a great dog called Max. But I think that's the prime example of having to make a choice so if you're if you want to go on the horror side of things then you've got to have monsters attacking humans and if you're going to do the smart horror thing is you're going to make everyone really struggle and agonize over it because monsters have feelings too so i think there should be more mermaids but as long as they're handled like they are in the lure but maybe not quite the same as that because i don't know how many of those sex scenes i could see without needing more like cold showers so yeah <laughs> you made me want to rewatch it again and i just rewatched it today <laughs> me too <laughs> oh louise thank you so much it's such a beautiful way to end this season where we've been exploring the monster summoning with my favorite female monster the mermaid I thought it was me. <laughs> I mean, you would never call you a monster. I was like, I can't believe you just called me your favorite female monster. It's like, well, I guess that's okay. When we do a season about angels, that's oh, when Oh, you charmer. You charmer. You. Mm -hmm. Fine. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, Louise, thank you so much for your time and for your beautiful insight as always and where can people find out more about your work online uh people can find me on twitter so at shiny underscore demon come find me thanks that's it for this episode and the second series of the final girls podcast we're going to be taking a very short break and we will be back in a few weeks with a brand new series keep your eyes peeled on our socials to find out what we're going to be covering and in the meantime, you can find us and all of our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. If you can, please, please, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It genuinely helps independent podcasters a lot. And you can find out more about what we do on The Final Ghost of Code UK and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Final Ghost UK. I am on Twitter at Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening, and we will be back very soon.